A number of years ago, we lived in Philadelphia, and I was a youth pastor there. And uh, one of the greatest challenges of working with the junior high students that I was serving uh, was what to do during the summers. Because junior high students have all kinds of time in the summer. Uh, you know, no matter how, how much they do uh, sports-wise or whatever, they, just, they can't get jobs. They don't have cars. Like, they just... They have so much time, typically. And so uh, I had to figure out what to do. They were calling all the time. Uh, let's get some guys together. Let's, all right, we'll go get guys together. We'll go play some basketball. Let's get some guys together. We'll, we'll uh, you know, go do this and go do that. And after a while, I started getting, um, like, a little uneasy. Like, we are using a lot of time here. What may the Lord want us to do with this? And so they called one day. I said, yes, I will take you to the new superhero movie because I love them. And before that, you got to do something with me. I said, okay. So they say, we all get together. We go to the church, office, we go to the church building and we, we raid the janitor's closet. We get the vacuum. We get like three rolls of, of uh, paper towels. We get the you know, industrial all-purpose cleaner. We get everything. Every, we get the brushes. We get all this cleaning material we can find. We pile it in the back of my car, which used to be a truck. Way cooler than a Prius. And then we take <laughs> off to... Um, to uh, this young lady's home. She's a, sing, uh, uh, a single mom, four small kids. And uh, we show up, and I had warned her. Um, I said, we're here to clean your van. And she said, great. What's right out here? And we all walk up to the van. She opens the door, and those four junior hires took a step back. <laughs> I mean, have you seen the van of a, of a mother of four small children? Have you been anywhere near it? Like, those doors can be shut, the windows open, and the smell is still pouring off that sucker. I mean, in the high heat of summer, you go, this is the worst. I'm going to start with the worst. You, uh, you know how you can unlatch those seats and pull them out so the back opens up? The little area where the seat latches in goes down in the floor, that is a gummy bear's favorite place to hide. <laughs> he will get his buddy the goldfish and all the lollipops he can find and somehow mix them with Coke right in there. And it'll grow something that, you, that has eyeballs, I promise. I mean, it is astounding. You go to reach for the doorknob and you find out somebody thought that was a great place to put their tissue. You're like, oh gosh, the whole thing is just foul. We're cleaning that sucker up and, uh, and just going to town on it. Those boys, we finally got done with it hours later. Um, and, uh, and at the end of it, this mama had a great uh, clean car. It looked new. It was, it was awesome. Um, but you know what she was doing? Like at, le- at, the, at the very beginning, you know what she did? Can you guess? What was she doing? Oh, welcome. Please jump in my mess. That will be great. She, what would every one of you do if somebody walked into your mess? Sorry, 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 sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, He dropped that the other day. Finally, she just, you know, it was all this apology, and you guys didn't really have to do this, but I'm so, okay, all right. Finally, she just went inside, and she couldn't handle it. It's too awkward. It was too much. What if somebody walked into your house? Not junior high boys, although junior high boys are awesome. What if somebody that you really highly respected, what if your boss came over? 
What if, uh, what if your grandmother came over? What if somebody uh, whose opinion you strongly desire, you think the world of, what if they came to your home and it was one of those times where you'd been feeling poorly for like a couple weeks and they walk in and there is laundry all over the couch. The dishes are piled up and there's been dishes there so long that there's all those fruit flies buzzing around them. You know, one of those nasty times. Like you don't want to walk with bare feet on the floor because your bottoms of your feet will get coated and all the dirt and nasty on there. The bathrooms, we're not even going to talk about that kind of dirty. You know what I'm talking about? And this person walks in, the person whom you respect, and they start rolling up their sleeves. No, 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 no. And they don't even need to ask because they already know where the cleaning stuff is somehow. And they get it all out. And they start concocting this mixture in the sink because it's going to take like this extra strong stuff to get that lollipop unstuck from the couch. They're going to have to scrub it real hard. They're down on their hands and knees, washing the baseboards, cleaning out from under the, uh, under the stove and making sure it's all clean down in there. The whole time... You're saying, I'm sorry. No, I should have gotten that. I was feeling really bad. I didn't know. Oh, my goodness. You're saying, no, 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 no. That's my mess. That's mine. I got this. I got it. I'm fine. I got it. That's mine. What if they walked into your car in the same way? You know, a lot of us keep a cleaner house, but our car is filthy. You know, the little crumbs and gum, like, in the buttons for the windows and stuff. They're getting there digging it all out. Or maybe that same person takes your device, your computer, or your phone. And they open it up. And they see every they can see every bit of what you've been doing. How many times you opened that app, what you were looking at, when you visited that site, what time of night was that? Who you're talking to, how you're talking to them. No, 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 no. It's fine. I, I, I was going to delete that app off of there. I, I'm not doing that anymore. That was yesterday. I just want us to feel for a moment the awkwardness of this scene. It's such a familiar scene, and we see Peter say, no, 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 no. And this is what's happening. Jesus is entering his mess. It's, it's intensely vulnerable and close. It's this... This position of respect, stooping so low, so low, to clean him up. And he's resistant to it. There's a lot of discomfort in this. Jesus had to stoop low to clean us up. This passage, we're never going to understand it accurately unless we know that this passage is about the cross through and through. Um, I was at a youth conference years ago, and uh, uh, I don't know, six, eight, ten years ago, something. And there was a, it was a huge one. It was in Atlanta, big old convention center, uh, five thousand some odd youth workers from all over the nation. The most committed, the most tired youth workers. You know, everybody's there. I'm, like, oh, I'm so tired. It's so good, but I'm, it's hard. And I just, I need, a, I need to kind of be rejuvenated. I need to find new ideas. I need to, I need to be built back up and be encouraged. And the first talk is, uh, is on this passage. The gentleman gets up and he talks about this passage and he says, look, see how what's happening here? Um, Jesus is the most powerful man in the room. And he gives 
up his power for the good of other people. Now, you're going to be the most powerful person in a room lots of times, and you also can give up your power for other people. It was like uh, what Jim Gaffigan says about having a fourth kid. It's like you're drowning and somebody hands you a baby. That's what it's like. I mean, that's what that was like, right? We're all showing up tired and saying, I don't know if I can keep going. This is a challenge. This is hard. And then he says, oh, by the way, take all that power you have and uh, you know, use it to serve other people. It doesn't actually give us, I mean, it's the right application, right? It's the right application. It's just the wrong path. You missed, he missed how you get there. It's like somebody taking you to the carnival. You know all carnivals let you in for free. They don't make you pay to get in. You just got to pay to do what? Ride the rides. It's like taking you to the carnival with no tickets. You can be really near the ride, and it looks like a good time. It looks like it could be good, but you can't actually participate. You missed the ticket. It's like taking your clothes and dumping them in the washing machine and stepping back and waiting the 45 minutes or whatever and then taking them out and just trusting that they're going to be different and okay now. You didn't put the water in. You missed the absolutely essential ingredient of a washing machine. That's what we do. And we look at this passage and say, I need to use my power to serve other people. Got it. I'll try that out. When we miss the cross, we're missing the ticket. We're missing the water. Um, We're missing it. This passage is all about the cross. It's all about the cross. Have you ever wanted to put down a book that you started? You ever start a novel, get a little ways in, think, oh my goodness, this is dragging. I don't think I can do this. Do you know what the... what? I've heard this, I think, from an English teacher. She said it was pretty common knowledge. Rule of thumb on a book. How how long do you get it? You can yell it out. Yeah? I was right. It's 100 pages. Good. 100 pages. 50. Not long enough. It's got to go. 100 pages. Why is that? You got to know the setup. If you don't get to know the characters, you won't understand why they do what they do later. If you don't let the tension build, then the resolution isn't nearly as satisfying. If you don't understand the background, then the plot may not make any sense. You've got to get the setup. You've got to give it 100 pages. I mean, if it's like a 120-page book, maybe 50 is better. You've got to let the setup happen. And in our passage, John sets it up. The act itself is actually only two verses. Most of this is set up and then discussion afterwards. John says, um, he sets it up. He says, now, uh, let me get, well, we use a different version in the bulletin than I look at all week, so I always kind of miss say things. Just before the Passover. So he's, the setting of this is, is the Passover. It's the final week of Jesus' life on earth. Um, his ministry uh, before the cross. And this is the Passover feast, so he's setting it up. That's, that's an important detail. The Passover, what, what does the Passover meal celebrate? What, what act? This is an easy one. You can yell it out even. Yes. But what happened at the Passover? 
Sorry, this is, somebody said that in the last service, too. I should have learned from that. Okay, the, never mind. The Exodus. The Exodus. The Passover celebrates the fact that Yahweh, Israel's God, smushed Egypt's gods. That's what Passover is. Yahweh is king. Our God is king. That's the Passover meal. And Jesus is celebrating with his disciples the Passover meal, and this is what happens. When our God is king, he stoops low to raise you up. You've got to know the setup before it makes sense. He goes on. It's the Passover. God, our God is king. Jesus is showing what the world looks like when God is king. John goes on and says, Jesus knew his hour was at hand. Whenever John in his gospel says his hour, it means the hour of, of the cross. It means the, 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 the event towards which all of Jesus' life was driving. So in view here, Jesus has the cross. It's coming. It's coming. He goes on. I, I mean, you could really, I would love to preach an entire sermon on, on this setup, why that matters to what Jesus does. But he says, uh, John says that Jesus knew, which is great. We get inside of Jesus' mind in the Gospel of John. Pretty unique to John's gospel. Um, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus has power over all things. He knows that. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knows where he come from and he knows where he's going. All of those things lead into what Jesus is about to do for his disciples. You got to know the setup. John sets that up and then says, Jesus rises from supper. If you want a a really interesting meditation, maybe a Thanksgiving week meditation, read this passage a bunch of times and think rising and lowering, rising and lowering. You'll see in the characters and the the language that's used, there's an up-down motion to this passage. Now Jesus rises, knowing that he's got authority, declaring that this meal that celebrates that, that God is king over all, that's, that's what I'm enacting now, that I'm the king over all things, that my hour to be lifted up as king is coming. And then it says Jesus rises from supper. And you may be thinking, here comes the smoting. Here comes the, the judgment. He knows there's a traitor in his midst. Maybe he's going to deal with him. But he doesn't. Instead, Jesus washes the feet of those disciples, even the one who is to betray him. As I said earlier, the action is pretty understated. It's only two verses. Jesus rises, wraps a towel around himself, pours water in a basin, washes the disciples' feet, and then dries them, wipes them on the towel that is attached to Jesus' body. Jesus is getting into their house and cleaning it up. He's getting into their business. He's, getting, he's coming closer than is comfortable for them. He's looking in those little nooks and crannies of the car where all the gummy bears hide. Now, a lot of us have heard a lot of sermons and things talked about this passage. But it's important to realize just a couple things about what's happening here. First of all, people's feet, especially them, were filthy. 
wearing sandals in a really dusty environment. Their roads weren't paved. Obviously, the roads were just dirt. But the way that those roads didn't just wash away in the rain was that they had a glue that held them together. Do you know what the glue was? Animal droppings, right? They use animals for everything. They don't clean up after them. They're just walking along the street. They drop it. People's feet uh, mush it in. And that's what holds the streets together. So here are people in open-toed sandals walking in dusty, pooey streets. And here they come into dinner. Come into dinner. And at dinner, they don't sit at a table with their knees under the table and the feet down. They lounge. So they would probably be on their left arm, lounging on, if this is the floor, lounging this way with their feet out, stretched out this way, and they eat with one hand like this. So the next person is also lounging at this table, whose head is about here. The next person's head is about here. So the next person down gets my feet right up near their head while they're eating. Washing the feet is a good idea, right? Good idea in this environment. It was also such a lowly job that even uh, that if you were a servant but a Jewish servant, you didn't have to wash feet. It was only for the lowliest, we understand. So a pretty ignoble act. But Jesus is not just cleaning up their feet and making them fit to eat at the table. So, you know, John, whose head was next to Jesus, we're told his feet aren't in like Judas's face. That's not, that's not the whole point. He's not just making them fit for that table. He says they're going to understand afterward. Afterward. After the cross. Because on the cross is where he's going to stoop low to raise them up, to clean them up. On the cross is where Jesus is going to take all their grime and wipe them not on a towel, but hold them and pull, them, pull all their grime onto himself. On the cross, Jesus is not taking, uh, pouring water into a basin to wash their feet. Water pours from his side to bring cleansing to his people. They're only going to understand what he's doing here afterwards. After he does this. After he goes to the cross. You see, if this act that Jesus performs is not about the cross, then it's just an inspirational story. It may move us emotionally, but will never fundamentally change our relationship to power like Jesus intends here. You said, he says two things about this act. I'm, I've cleaned you, right, like we're talking about on the cross. We are clean. We are set right. He has stooped down to raise us up. But he also says, go and do likewise. So if this cleansing isn't a picture uh, of God's act for you, then it's never going to change your relationship to power. It's never going to change how you think about your um, responsibility with the privilege that God has given you, with the resources that God has entrusted to you. Inspiration is not enough for what Jesus wants. You guys heard about these shows about hoarders lately? Somebody was telling me about this. Was it you? Yeah, it was. Hoarders, these hoarding shows. (laughs) That was way over your head. It was somebody way back there, Caroline. Not Charlie and Caroline. It was not pointing to you guys. Uh, it's fascinating, right? These, uh, there are these so hoarders, I'm sure you're fairly familiar, uh, people who collect things in their homes and keep them all 
Uh, one guy the show did couldn't slept outside of his home for 20 years because he couldn't get in the front door because he had kept so much stuff. Um, one guy, his thing was, uh, it was British, so it was rubbish. And he collected rubbish, and he kept it all. He never, ever threw anything away, and he would go out at night picking through other people's rubbish to bring it back to his house. You and I are hoarders of power. We hoard it. We want it all. We hoard it in our savings accounts. We hoard it in our homes that are way bigger than we need for our little families. We don't invite others into them nearly as often as we may. We hoard it into our children. Let's give them all the privilege that we have, and they can go far and do all of these amazing things. We hoard it in our educations. You and I are hoarders of power, and Jesus is offering, let me come clean up. You know how those hoarders respond? Have you seen those shows? They go freaking ballistic. First of all, they, they, like totally, uh, they object to the fact that they have a problem at all. They can't even find a place to sit in their house. And they say things like, I'm just a little bit slower to organize my things than other people. What? It's not the case. This is 30 years of garbage you've got hoarded here that you're, you're holding on to. They hate it. Jesus is saying, let me come into that house. Let me come in and clean it up. And then he commands us to do likewise. He commands us to stoop low, to get dirty, and to clean up. So what do, what do you and I do with all this power? Let me just say, um, an acknowledged, uh, I mean, I hope humility. I'm new to this area. I've only been here about four years. I don't know Chattanooga. I don't know. I mean, it takes a long time to get to know a people, get to know a community. My sense is that in here, in Rock Creek, or maybe the network that you consider yourself a part of that, that probably includes Covenant College, it probably includes like LMPC in the front of the mountain, or at least the PCA. In that network, we hold, I think, the majority of the power in our region. We hold it here. We have that. The political, the relational. We've been here, there, we have people who've just been here for generations. The financial power. We have a lot of power in this room right now and in the networks that this room represents. What do I do with all this power? What do I do with all of this? What do I do with it all? Only Jesus can give us a right relationship to power. I love this. In this passage, Jesus bends, he kneels down, he's, he's low, he's wiping grimy feet on himself, and he interacts with Peter. He says, you have to let me clean you. And then John reports that Jesus resumed his position. You know what I like about that? Is that that is the opposite message that we intuit when we think about my power. When I think about all these great things that I've been given, all these privileges that I have, my intuitive 
gut reaction is shame. Uh, let me just run away and get out of here. Uh, I'm just going to mess things up. We were, I was at uh, our General Assembly, uh, our PCA, National Gathering, uh, a number of years ago. And, um, and there was a presentation that I attended about uh, multi-ethnic churches and uh, diverse socioeconomic uh, churches that are good for uh, the material, materially poor, that are good for the neighborhood. And, um, and I was so torn up about it, you know, that I was like, oh, God, I just feel, oh, I'm not doing that. This is awful. And I went to, like, our resident expert in the PCA on this kind of stuff, Randy um, Neighbors. Randy Neighbors started uh, New City, helped start New City Fellowship with other of God's people. He didn't do it by himself or without the Spirit. Randy Neighbors, and I would go to talk and say, Randy, I'm this rich white kid from the suburbs. What can I do? I just think, I feel like I need to get out of the way. Just get me out of here. His answer was, uh, Corby, if you feel like you could work with or under an African-American brother, then you can really help. I thought it was a really good answer. What Randy said and what Jesus said are this. You don't, you don't give away. You don't uh, abstain from the power that you have. You don't walk away from it. You acknowledge. Jesus acknowledged. I'm the teacher and the master. It's right that you call me that. You know what Jesus confronts in the disciples? is not an abuse of power. He doesn't confront that in them. He doesn't say, he does other people, he doesn't say to his disciples in this episode, you're misusing power, let me show you how to do it. What he confronts is Peter who says, you'll not wash me. You see, once once your Savior has used his power for your welfare, you're going to know exactly what to do with power. Once that has penetrated your heart, you're going to know exactly what to do with the privilege you have. In Galatians 3, Paul tells us about a, uh, an episode that happens where Peter and some others come uh, to visit the church in Galatia. Remember this story? And Peter at first is eating with the, the Galatian church, has Jewish converts and Gentile converts, and they're a family together. And then Peter, he comes and he's hanging out and he's good for a while, but then eventually um, he becomes convinced that, I think we're supposed to do the Jewish thing still. I think we're supposed to have table laws and, and separate. And so Peter is creating an ethnic divide in God's family. And he's creating a, a higher class citizen and a lower class citizen in God's family. And when Paul comes to confront him, you know what he says to him? He doesn't say, Peter, you broke the rule about ethnic unity. He doesn't say, you broke the rule about eating with each other, he says to him, Peter, your living is out of accord with the gospel. You are not living in keeping with your own salvation. You see that? He is telling him to live in the stream that, uh, uh, of Jesus' rescue of him, of stooping low to raise others up, not separating and holding on to power and influence and authority but using it for the welfare of others. You're not in keeping with the gospel. Jesus commands us to live lives in keeping with what he has done for us. So where does that leave us 
What do we do? This is going to be feeble. I'm just going to confess. Uh, I'm going to trust that Holy Spirit really wants to keep speaking to you about this and, uh, and raising opportunities and awareness um, in your own heart. Uh, or conversations, please. Talk about what is it we do with our power. Um, junior hires, I said at the beginning, they have an abundance of time. And so we use their time, and youth pastors too, which is pretty great. Um, so we use their time to, to serve someone else. What do you have? Most people think junior hires don't have a whole lot to contribute. Um, I, think, I think there's a lot there. You can look at lots of different resources. Junior hires have a lot of time. Uh, you have the power of flight, meaning you can book a flight. You have the power of vacation, many of you. Get time off of work. Um, you have the power of labor. Maybe you could go to Lima this summer and use your power, use your time to build a playground for children who don't have one. I, uh, I, I was raised in a home where my dad was gone most mornings before I woke up, and where he came back oftentimes after I was already in bed. Uh, the good news about that and there's a lot of good news in that, is that I know what it means to be a hard worker and a good employee, well, he was an employer, but a good worker. I know what it means to to work hard, to work for a purpose. That's a privilege I was given that I didn't know I had. I just know what it means to be a good employee. You wake up early, you get there, you do your work hard, and you come home. You know, a lot of people that we know uh, that that some of you may hire in your businesses don't have that privilege. Show up at 9.30 and you say you're supposed to be here at 8.30 and they're thinking, I showed up, didn't I? They don't don't have the privilege that I just accept as normal. So maybe part of laying aside your power and your right is to train that person what it looks like to be a good employee, to be a hard worker. To be someone who contributes. Uh, this last one may be, I don't know. What Jesus is doing is pretty radical. The king of the universe stoops to, uh, to wash feet and further bears the weight of sin on his shoulders. Um, so we probably can't get too radical as we think about this. But um, there is a... Uh, I think a growing movement in our, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just in our nation, probably around the world, of, uh, of collective power. So people say, again, I'm new here, people say Chattanooga is a really hard place to get social action going. And they say it's because all the powerful people want to play their own game. They want to keep their rights to their power. They want to do it their way, and they want to have the right to pull out if they don't like what's happening. There's an organization in Nashville called NOAA, Nashville Organized for Action and Hope. It's a collection of different, uh, different groups, congregations and, um, and uh, labor unions 
and uh, uh, lots of different religious congregations represented. I went through the list. There are no PCA congregations, which is fairly uh, condemning. But, um, but they're organized for action and hope together as different unities, as groups. Okay? So they leverage their power to get a voice for the marginalized. Because they're an organization of lots of these other organizations, they can say, hey, you're running for mayor. We'll get 2,000 people to show up, and you can speak to us, but when you get elected, you need to listen. You need to let us have a voice. They leverage their power for that. And so they're really active. There, there are three uh, foci, are affordable housing, economic equality, and criminal justice. And they work towards these uh, at, the, at the levels of the highest power, all the way down to individual training and helps. So, each, uh, so if, if a congregation joins that congregation, no matter how right they are or how powerful they are, they get two votes in the organization. If this labor union joins, they get two votes. If this dying congregation with ten people joins, they get two votes. It's a leveraging of power for the good of others. It's a laying aside even my right to leverage the power. You're submitting to something greater. As long as you can say, yeah, I like affordable housing, I like economic equality, and I like criminal justice issues. I want that to be more just. You can sign on to that. You don't have to believe all the philosophy, I mean, all the uh, other religion or, uh, of other groups. They lay aside their individual right to, to loan their power for the good of others. There's a group like that starting in Chattanooga that's having a really hard time getting traction. It's called Caleb. Um, look it up if you want to. A friend of mine is trying to get that going, has been for a while. He's having a hard time getting people sign on. People of God, uh, Jesus stooped low to clean you up. And he bids you to do the same to others. I hope you will. Amen.